Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. Look at the headline, and you will see a number of breaking news items that will penetrate the legacy and traditional media cycle. Take a look at the uh, headline box on screen. It looks like it is not situated correctly on the screen. Judy, you got a lot right there going. Um, give me a thumbs up when we're live on YouTube. I now see 14 uh, folks asking about YouTube as we speak. We are working on the fly getting YouTube up and also the headline box. Thank you guys for the feedback. Um, I've been, I got here at 7, a little after 7 this morning, um, from just after 7 a.m. this morning until the start of the Jerry and Jerry show, which was uh, 10, 15 in the morning. I was either text messaging, DM, or phone calling. Um, I'll give you the exact number here. Um, one of the top commercial brokers in the market, a CEO and business owner, a business owner, a closing attorney, a banker, a developer, and two elected officials. That was all from just after 7 a.m., until 9.55 a.m. when Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, entered our studio. Um, the stories are coming fast and furious to the network. I have a big-time story that I'm working on, if I can just find the time of the day to finish the writing, um, a story that is the crossroads of... City Hall, Charlottesville, policy, land use, and development, real estate. It will be on the same plane of the breaking news from last week when we let you know on Thursday of last week that City Council would vote last night to spend $5.9 million of your money to buy Zero East High Street and to kibosh 245 apartments on the banks of the Rivanna River. As predicted, that vote went green last night. We'll break it down on today's show. We got election. Um, I got a sticker right here. My wife and I, we voted. One of the first to open and to walk into the polls at Stone Robinson Elementary. We brought our uh, two Bambinos with us. We got the photo to document, which I was so proud of. I explained to both of our sons, granted one is 11 months old, and he's still pooping his diapers, drooling down his chin, and putting everything he sees in the world into his mouth. Yes, that creates quite a bit of sickness in the Miller household. But the oldest is five and a half years old, and he's starting to appreciate things I explained to him that his gamma, my mom, Mima and Poppy, his great-grandparents who he's never met, my mother who he spends quite a bit of time with, where they were born and lived, Cuba, they don't have the luxury of democracy in voting on election day for officials to represent them as they see fit. I think he appreciated the significance perhaps he was most excited about the Hershey candy bar that he got from one of the voting um, booths or one of the uh, folks passing out sample ballots. And he was extremely excited about the um, sticker for a potential voter that he was wearing into his school this Tuesday morning. A election results are difficult to find online. They have not been updated yet. I think the question we got to ask here um, in an era that leans very, very blue, in an area that leans very, very blue, is there an independent or a Republican that has a chance at victory today? I'll try to answer that question. We'll also give you the breaking news of Guajiro's Miami Eatery moving to Peloton Station on Temp Street. We will give you the breaking news of Flow Automotive purchasing Jim Price Hyundai. Hyundai. 
Flow is a powerhouse of significant automotive proportions. I'll put that into perspective on today's show. We're going to cover Tony Elliott's football team briefly today. This is a damning statement of Tony Elliott's football team. Coach Elliott has yet to win an ACC ACC home football contest. I'll say that one more time. Tony Elliott, the head football coach at UVA, has not won a home ACC football contest since he has arrived in Charlottesville, Virginia. Judah, if you can give us an update, please, for those that are asking on YouTube. I'm seeing folks saying the stream is back on on YouTube. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for scrambling quickly. We appreciate that. Spencer Pushard will get to your questions. I have every media outlet in Charlottesville watching the program right now, and it's no secret why we have breaking news. If you could put the headlines on screen for those viewers and listeners and give me a thumbs up when those headlines are on screen, please. They've been on screen. Thank you very much. Some viewers are saying they are not on screen. So they are on screen, you can confirm? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. It is a live talk show, guys, so thank you kindly for bearing with us. Let's talk election day expectations first. Voter turnout is at extremely low levels. Voter turnout in Charlottesville, if you want to follow what's happening in Charlottesville, not that it matters, every single election is uncontested. Actually, I take that back. It does matter in Charlottesville because there are um, races tied to Charlottesville that are not just the um, city council and the school board race. So this could be a good barometer of how bad the turnout is. Go to the Twitter account, Seville Votes, at Seville Votes. They posted the 9 a.m. turnout in the city of Charlottesville. The 9 a.m. turnout in the city of Charlottesville at the Recreation Voting Precinct, Clark, Carver, Venable, Jackson Faya, Johnson, Buford, Charlottesville High School, and Walker School uh, Precincts is horrendous. It's horrendous. As of 9 a.m., At Venable, for example, 60 people had turned out to vote. At Buford, as of 9 a.m., 95 people had turned out to vote. At Carver, as of 9 a.m., 111 people turned out to vote. At Walker, as of 9 a.m., 143 people had turned out to vote. The voter turnout is not very strong. And what I'm basing this on is the Charlottesville precincts. It's extremely difficult to project what is happening in Albemarle County right now. I encourage you to try to find any Albemarle County data. The Albemarle County data is few and far between. Deep Throat says this on Twitter, (coughs) a connected man. He said, as of a week ago, the city had roughly 900 ballots cast early. Maybe, he says, everyone's doing absentee voting. In the last off-off year in Charlottesville City, 11,000 ballots were cast. The turnout is meager. We expected a meager turnout, but perhaps not to these levels. It's disappointing, but it could be advantageous for upsets in a blue county and a blue region. Perhaps in an off-off year, we're not seeing the turnout that we've seen in previous years because city races at the school board level and at the council level are completely uncontested. Lloyd Snook, Michael Payne, and Natalie Alshrin could have woke up this morning, they could have gone to the polls, and they could have voted for themselves and won a spot on council. Sure, there could be write-in candidates, and there is efforts from some in the Charlottesville City community to write in no confidence on the write-in line, and I've heard from some that it's gained momentum 
But let's cut to the chase. No confidence on the write-in line is not going to win a spot on the dais. That basically means Natalie Alshrin, if she voted for herself, Michael Payne, if he voted for himself, and Lloyd Snook, if he voted for himself, would have won a spot on council with one vote. School board, Charlottesville City, four spots up for grabs, all four uncontested. The candidates, they vote for themselves, they're on the dais, and the school board. Perhaps these two local elections, or excuse me, these seven local elections across council and the school board having no competition is creating very meager turnout. The county you would expect otherwise. Almoral County, we have one election that's gained national spotlight, and that's Bryce versus Spillman, and it's over $300,000, over $300,000 in campaign contributions so far. I'm very much following that race, Bryce and Spillman, to see what happens there. I'm very much following the TJ Fadeley, B. Lepisto Kirtley, Rivanna District Board of Supervisors race. I'll keep a close eye on Brad Rickle against Ann Malik in the Whitehall District, although I think Malik is a slam duck to win that. If there's two, if there's two races in this region, Almoral County or Charlottesville City, that an independent or a Republican could win, those two races are T.J. Fadeley and Lepisto Kirtley and Bryce and Spillman. I still think the Democrats, Lepisto Kirtley and Spillman, are favored. But those two are the ones that could be the closest in our crystal ball, which has proven to be very, very good. I told you last week before a vote happened last night. I'll repeat that. I told you last week before a city council vote happened last night how the vote was going to play out. You don't make predictions like that unless you're talking to the right people. Your two closest races in Almoral County at the school board and council level, a school board and supervisor level, are going to be in the Rivanna District with Lepisto Kirtley and TJ Fadeley, and at the school board at-large race with Bryce and Spillman. <coughs> how close? We're going, to low, we're going to know roughly this evening. Time will tell. Um, a couple of trends I think you should follow. If you have a Democratic sweep in Almoral County at the school board level, I alluded to this yesterday. I'll say it again. If you have a Democratic sweep in Albemarle County at the school board level, I'm hearing from a number of parents that watch this program. You will see what I've counted, 39 parents so far saying they will pull their children and position them from public schools and position them into their public school or home, uh, private school or homeschooling setting. They'll pull from public and position in private or homeschooling setting. 39 sets of parents reached out and passed that on to me over the course of the last couple weeks of them listening and watching to the show. 39 is not indicative of a mass movement by any means, but I will watch closely if that 39 is an indication, an indicator, uh, a KPI of a larger movement. Time will tell on that one. Why that's something to watch is because this Albemarle County School Board race has more attention than any other Albemarle County School Board race in the history of Albemarle. And I say that with confidence and conviction. I base that statement on fundraising dollars. I base that statement on media attention. I base that statement on national media attention. I base that statement on rancor and, and divisiveness and, and animosity between candidates. Berlin and McDermott do not like each other in the Whitehall. 
Bryce and Spillman do not like each other at the at-large. And those four candidates, Berlin and, and, and um, Spillman, are absolute polar opposites of Bryce and McDermott. And you can say that with confidence and conviction. I'll follow closely to see if this creates a larger movement when it comes to parental decision-making and schooling for their kids. That's something we all should follow. Chad Wood just put in the feed. He and his wife would also pull their kids if it's a sweep from public. So that is 40 sets of parents that have now made that comment to us and the I Love Seville Network. 40 sets of parents. All right, let's get to some breaking news. First, I'm going to get to the breaking news of, um, I mean, it's not breaking if you watch this program. It's breaking if you watch city council meetings. Last night, council voted 5 nothing to approve $5.9 million to acquire basically 24 acres on the banks of the Rivanna River. This story is going to be, this is effing crazy. I'm going to give you a tease here. Council approving $5.9 million plus closing costs <coughs> to kill housing is a tease of the breaking story that I'm working on now that I may publish later this week. It's a teaser for you. So whet the appetite. An interesting wrinkle came up in the city council meeting yesterday, last night, which I watched while sitting next to my wife in our bed. What were you watching, sweetheart? She, oh, yeah. She was watching. She's a diehard New York Jets fan. She was watching uh, the New York Jets <coughs> wet the bed last night um, on Monday Night Football. Zach Wilson is not the future of the New York Jets. I think everyone can speak to that. And, Creighton, interestingly, Aaron Rodgers is saying he's going to come back this year, which how the hell do you do that from a torn Achilles? It's bananas. <coughs> So while she's watching the Jets lose to the Chargers 27-6, I'm sitting there with my phone open watching the city council meeting. <clears throat> Everything that happened in the city council meeting went exactly how I predicted last week. One wrinkle I want to highlight that we did not discuss. The initial, and this was put on my radar by Deep Throat. Wow. Mike and Keswick just sent me this text message. Mike, I'm not going to use your uh, last name because I re respect you too much. Mike and Keswick says, we'll be the 41st family if it's a Democratic sweep to pull our daughters from public school. So that's 41 families, Judah that have said they will pull from public school and position into homeschooling or private school if it's a democratic sweep. I'm not saying 41 families is indicative of a larger movement, but 41 families starts going from a small sample size to a sample size to consider. Mm -hmm. 41 sets of parents. In last night's meeting, on council said this was an interesting wrinkle. Deep Throat put this on my radar. The discussion of Zero East High Street was very brief. One interesting thing that came out of it was that apparently the appraisal came in at $5.6 and it excluded the Caroline Avenue house. So the $5.9 seems like it pretty much follows the appraisal. He has this question for Woody Fincham, which I sent to him. Woody Fincham is becoming the voice of appraisals uh, on the I Love Seville Network, and as he should. Woody Fincham is a pro's pro, a badass, and an all-around stand-up A-plus guy. 
Deep Throat says, I'm very curious how Woody Fincham would explain how one appraises a property in this situation where there is substantial uncertainty about the via- viable use. If you can build multifamily on it, it is, is it worth X? But if you can't, is it worth 0.1X? How does that appraisal deal with that, appraiser deal with that question? So here's what happened. The city paid its own appraiser. The appraiser was not Mr. Fitchum, at least not to my knowledge. Mr. Fitchum, I believe you're watching the program. Could you let us know if you were the appraiser of this uh, Rivanna River, um, these 24 acres on the banks of the Rivanna River? I can speak relatively with confidence that he was not. <clears throat> when they did the appraisal, they did not include the Caroline Avenue home that the city is now going to buy and be in the landlord game. People rent this home <coughs> from Bo Carrington and Seven Development. Once the transaction closes, the city's going to own the house, <coughs> which means um, the city's going to own a house and have tenants. It's also going to own the Rivanna River Company, not the business, but where the business is operated. So it'll have a commercial tenant as well, that Rivanna River Company, the folks that do a fantastic job with rafting and, 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 and live music along the Rivanna River. So they put a dollar amount of $300,000 for this Caroline Avenue house. The question is this, is that appraisal happen on multifamily potential, the development potential, or does the appraisal happen based on the city acquiring the land or acquiring the house, kiboshing, kiboshing the chance for development, diminishing the value of the home? The home has a hell of a lot more upside if it's part of an assembled package where 245 apartments can go on it. The home has way less upside if it's not developable to the tune of 245 apartments and is just a beat up, I, don't, I shouldn't use the word beat up, an older home that is leased. The city, regardless, valued it at $300,000, 5.6 to 5.9, that delta 300K, and wanted to roll that house into the total acquisition, which will happen sooner than later. I very much encourage you guys to keep your eyes on the Double Horseshoe Saloon property because Double Horseshoe Saloon is not in this deal and is still in the holdings of Seven Development and Mr. Bo Carrington. <coughs> Interestingly, East High Street right now is going through a sidewalk um, project where the city is focused on East High Street. And, and, and this network for a year if not longer, has implored, encouraged, demanded the city to do a contiguous sidewalk on East High Street. <clears throat> We've brought this up many times. Now they are doing it. <clears throat> so at the same time, a project is happening. And Judy, you're going to have to jump in here with some commentary because I'm coughing up a storm here. So prepare something and have something ready to go. You should have a lot to talk about. So, at the same time, the city is buying roughly 24 acres from Wendell Wood, assigning a fee to Bo Carrington for his troubles, and allocating $5.9 million plus closing costs of taxpayer dollars to acquire 24 acres to make a park during a housing crisis. The city is also doing a contiguous sidewalk on East High Street. Are they related? <clears throat> maybe, maybe yes, maybe no yes. If I'm the city and I'm trying to build a park on East High Street, I damn sure want a sidewalk to be able to go down the road. Regardless, all of East High Street environmentalists, proponents of the river, they win. Two shot Judah Wickhauer. I want to highlight Aaron King, who's watching the program. Aaron King's good people. I like Aaron King. 
give my voice a rest because I got a lot more I got to cover on this program. Take over here for about 30 seconds. I'm going to go grab a bottle of water. All right. <clears throat> give your fans something to, some, something to chew on. Okay. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm glad that the city is doing something with the sidewalk, and uh, I think this is probably going to be a really good thing for the, uh, for the, the bars on, uh, on High Street. You've got, uh, you've got Hogwaller. They'll probably, uh, I mean, imagine being able to go to a park and walk very quickly to a uh, walk very quickly to a bar like uh, like Hogwaller or the uh, Double Horseshoe Saloon. Double Horseshoe uh, Saloon's closed. Oh, they're closed now. They've been closed for months. Really? Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Now they could walk to Hogwaller. Um, thank you. I'm going to ask you this question, and here's another tease for you. Did 10th and Page and the activists that stalled Phase 3 Dairy Market, and did the activists that killed 245 apartments on High Street, have they created a playbook and a precedent for other neighborhoods to kill development and housing projects in the city of Charlottesville? Furthermore, can other neighborhoods utilize the precedent set by the folks around High Street and the folks in 10th and Page as a legal precedent or the basis for a lawsuit to kill developmental projects around their neighborhoods. That's a wet the whistle for you for a story I'm working on that's going to have significant impact in this community. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. You got two playbooks out there that impacted local government. Michael Payne watching the broadcast as we speak. Tenth and Page gave you a playbook of how to stall phase three dairy market and kill. I'll, I'll use the word stall. It's not killed. Stall 400 apartments. The high street neighborhood and, and environmentalists and Ravana River fans gave you a playbook of how to kill 245 apartments. Can those two playbooks be scaled by other neighborhoods. Furthermore, are these two stalled and killed projects a precedent for other neighborhoods for lawsuits, legal foundation, involving attorneys? That's a whistle wetter for you for what we're going to do on the I Love Seville Network. All right, next topic, Guajiros Miami Eatery. Moving to... The Peloton Station location. First, let's talk about it from a Guajiro standpoint. This is a great move for Guajiro's Miami Eatery. I love Seville.com right now if you want the story. In fact, I'm going to share the I love Seville.com story about Guajiro's moving to the, the Peloton Station location right now on my personal Facebook page in the comment section of this show. In the comment section of LinkedIn, where this show is broadcasting. On Twitter, where this show is broadcasing. Share it right now. On the I Love Seville group, my personal Facebook page reaches 6,200 people. On the I Love Seville group that reaches over 4,000 people. On the I Love Seville Facebook page that reaches over 7,000 people. On the I Love Seville food page that reaches over 8,000 people. On Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and on 14 other LinkedIn, uh, 14 other Twitter pages. Guajiros, this is their third location since they were birthed in 2019. They were birthed by the Mayorga brothers. In fact, Danilo came on our show. 
Do you have a photo of me with Dadillo on the I Love Seville show in 2019? If you could put that photo on screen, that would be amazing. Give me a thumbs up when that photo is on there. That would be huge. They initially started in the Woodbrook Shopping Center. They were in the same shopping center as Al Carbone. They stayed in the Woodbrook Shopping Center to prove their concept. That's where I first fell in love with Guajiros. I fell in love with their, their coffee, their Cuban sandwich, their fried plantains, their fried cheese. I fell in love with their fruit-flavored water. I fell in love with the family, with the cuisine, and with the atmosphere. <coughs> From the Woodbrook Shopping Center, after proving their concept, they said, we want a new place, a better place. <coughs> mm. That new better place they chose <coughs> was the old Latois and Parallel 38 on West Main Street. Latois and Parallel 38 on West Main Street offered them enhanced visibility, a, a dining district of prestige and pedigree, offered them a UVA student customer base, a student customer base that was not going to Woodbrook Shopping Center. <coughs> in fact, a lot of people are not going north of town unless they're living north of town because the traffic is potentially nightmarish. And there are many other dining options in other locations. The Latois Parallel 38 location on West Main Street offered them the heartbeat of Charlottesville, the center of Charlottesville. You have UVA students. You have the staff that works at UVA. You have the professionals that work at UVA. You're close to downtown. You're in Midtown. You're close to the corner. You're in the heartbeat of the city. The fatal flaws of the Latois parallel location on West Main Street, the number one fatal flaw, everyone's going to agree with this, is parking. Whether people want to admit it or not, and people, some people choose to ignore this, some people choose not to acknowledge it. You got me and Danilo Mayorga on screen. Look at the photo on screen. This is from 2019. Me and one of the three owners of Guajiros. I love this place. Love this place. Whether folks want to admit this or not, parking's a pain in the ass in Charlottesville. West Main Street, it's tough. It's the only fatal flaw you potentially see with this location. The Peloton Station location offers on-site parking. Two parking lots. I've been to Peloton Station 100 plus times. I miss Peloton Station. My buddy Curtis Shaver used to own Peloton Station. I'm going to his wedding this weekend. He's marrying a fantastic woman. I can't wait to see their happiness and this couple blossom. They're tailor-made for each other. I was sad to see Peloton Station close. I love the sports bar theme of Peloton Station. I love the family friendliness of Peloton Station. I love the live music of Peloton Station. I love the TVs of Peloton Station. I thought the bicycle niche was genius. Peloton Station had some bad luck, just like many restaurants. It's called COVID. It's called a pandemic. That's bad luck. And COVID and the pandemic made operating restaurants, especially massive, large restaurants with high rents, difficult to operate, manage, and have success with. It's a big restaurant, Peloton. A lot of square feet. I would bet, and I'm going to just throw this out there. I would bet that Guajiros got a lower monthly rent than what Peloton was paying. And why I'm making that bet is because Peloton Station sat vacant for, was it a year? When did it close? Curtis, when did Peloton close? Can you text me that answer or put it on the feed? It's been vacant for a while. Because it's been vacant for a while, Shannon Worrell, the owner of the 10th Street Warehouses, the developer behind the 10th Street Warehouses, she was probably willing to negotiate on price per square or be flexible with lease terms. There's Chief Cotches. Chief Cotches looking sharp right there. You see him right there, Judah, walking by? Mm-hmm. This is a talk show. You see him? Yeah, I see him. 
I would bet you the terms are more affordable than what Peloton was paying. I also see, compared to the Latois Parallel 38 location, parking spots on site, which is going to appeal to a customer base. They also have better outdoor seating. It's a Peloton station location. I think this is a <coughs> genius move for the Guajiros Mayorga family. For this to work, they will need to attract students, locals, UVA employees down 10th Street. There's aspects of 10th that still have How do I characterize it? A little bit. There's aspects of 10th that have um, some uncertainty to them. I think that uncertainty is becoming less visible and tangible and palpable, but still present. As gentrification is dominating the city, the 10th and Page neighborhood is not nearly what it was when I was a UVA student. When I was a UVA student, the 10th and Page neighborhood, much of the 10th and Page neighborhood, <coughs> was an epicenter for crime. And, and do the research. You can find it online. was uh, see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil type of situation with the police when it came to an open-air drug market. I mean, look, do the research online. You can find it online. The Hook has written multiple stories about this. Now 10th and Page has been gentrified. Now you see 10th and Page is becoming what Belmont was 20 years ago. Belmont in 20... in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008 is what 10th and Page is, 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 is now. Heck, maybe last year or the year before. It's just gentrifying rapidly. So the key for Guajiros is attracting the customer base. Students, staff of UVA, and locals into and down Temp Street. West Main is no problem. West Main is a dining district, arguably the top dining district on West Main. And that's going to piss off my friends that are restaurant owners on the downtown mall. But it's fact. I mean, some of the top restaurants on West Main Street right now. Can you attract them down 10th Street is the question. It's a legitimate question. Um, still, that's fantastic for the uh, Guajiros and Mayorga family. Props to Josie Williams and Jenny Stoner of Tallheimer for helping broker the deal. Next piece of breaking news, and I see many people that work for Flow watching the program right now. Flow, this is probably the first that you're hearing from an On the I Love Seville show. Flow Automotive is a juggernaut of significant proportions right now. Flow Automotive has now purchased Jim Price Hyundai. Jim Price Hyundai has been an institution in this community. The Jim Price Automotive Group has been in the automotive industry since 1968. Flow Automotive Companies was founded in 1957 with one pre-owned automotive center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 65 years later, the family-owned Flow Company has experienced massive growth. 
Now Flow Automotive operates in 10 cities throughout North Carolina and Virginia with 50, 53 franchises representing 26 brands. Flow has over 2,500 team members with 350 of those team members in Charlottesville. Flow very, secret, very on the DL has become one of the top employers in the Charlottesville area. 350 and growing. This brand is an absolute juggernaut. Flow Automotive. Flow Automotive. No. We're doing a... No. This guy, we've got a random individual trying to come into here. Flow Automotive has purchased Price Kia in July of this year. Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Honda, Mercedes-Benz, Subaru, and Toyota, all acquired by Flow. Those were all purchased from the Umansky Auto Group in April of 2023. Flow has 15 franchises in Charlottesville. Did I, did I, did you hear that? Flow has 15 franchises in Charlottesville. They are dominating automotive. And they're doing it by acquiring other brands and companies and vertically integrating them into their model. It is genius. Eric Flo, Don Flo, they should be commended. Sean Ayers, we'll throw him in the mix. Commended. 350 employees in counting for flow. And I don't think they're done yet. So get ready and watch out. That's breaking news for you. Flow buying Jim Price Hyundai. I'll get to your comments in a matter of moments. Jon Snow, offer me some perspective on this story. I'll relay it live on air, Jon Snow. James Watson, I'll get to your comment. Every media outlet on the show right now in Charlottesville. Bill McChesney, hello. He said he's going out to vote after the show. Voice is killing me. It's killing me. It's tough to have a tough... A killing voice. Voice that's killing you when you're hosting a talk show. Neil Williamson watching the program. He shares something to me on Twitter. The president of the Free Enterprise Forum. Uh, this is fresh news. Let's see here. Oh, it's about the Virginia Wine Trail, Monticello Wine Trail. I'll take a look at this story that Neil shares with me here in a matter of moments. I'm doing this on the fly. Evidently, Charlottesville is the wine region of the year. <coughs> and Wine Enthusiast 2023 Wine Star Award winner. That's awesome. The wine region of the year is Charlottesville, Virginia. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. That just shared with me on Twitter. I'm literally streaming, doing like 18 things at once here. That is amazing. The wine region of the year. That's marketable, brandable, and a tourist attraction waiting to happen. James Watson says this. Sounds like planners and community members have been interested in saving and purchasing the riverfront property for many, many years based on council statement last night. Not sure it can be classified as being influenced by activists. The city as looking at... I'm not sure what this means. The city as looking at establishing... A, 
Um, I disagree, James. I think that uh, a nonprofit uh, came together and influenced. In fact, Lloyd Snook has talked about this at multiple media outlets. This is in multiple media stories that council's been influenced by a nonprofit that's been sending them countless emails and messages about purchasing the land, including a nonprofit that was formed since this project was announced last year. Literally, a nonprofit was created to help raise funds to purchase this land in a joint venture fashion. Respectfully disagree right there with Mr. Watson, although I appreciate his comment tremendously. I would undoubtedly chalk this up to housing activists on High Street and housing activists in the 10th and Page neighborhood utilizing the power of the populace to kibosh uh, development during a housing crisis. If the neighborhoods around High Street or the homes and the people around High Street were completely silent when this 245 apartment project was announced last year, this project would be a reality because it can happen by right. It literally has by right, by right um, opportunity. Council is spending, what is that? 2%, 2.5% of its yearly budget to get into the landlord business. It's putting more tax burden on homeowners and business owners and property owners in the city. It's taking land off tax rolls. It's taking 245 apartments off tax rolls once they were finished. And then it's going to have to maintain a park. I mean, this is a, I called it a, what did I call it yesterday? You're asking me? They were part of the conversation. What do we call it? What did we describe it yesterday? Mm, I'm drawing a blank. Quagmire. Ah, uh, yeah. We called it a quagmire. Yeah. John Snow says, Flo has purchased a lot besides Malloy on 29 for Hyundai's permanent location. There you go. Thank you, John. Oh, man. All right. A couple other items out of the notebook here before I get off air. Eat some honey, a cough drop, and some Ragged Branch bourbon. Um, I alluded to this yesterday. In fact, James sent me this information. Thank you for sending this to me, James. Uh, Tyson's Corner is now a designated outdoor refreshment area and is allowing shoppers to booze while shopping. They're branding and marketing boozing while shopping at Tyson's Corner as Sip and Shop. Sip and Shop launches tomorrow. Is Charlottesville going to be last in the Sip and Shop designated outdoor refreshment area game? When does council allow the downtown mall to have Sip and Shops? It's tailor-made for this. It will drive economic development and give the city and county another branding mechanism. Sip and shop. Turn the downtown mall into a designated outdoor refreshment area and create incremental tax revenue sources to alleviate the burden of taxes on homeowners, business owners, and property owners. I fall into two of those three categories. Come up with new ideas to generate tax revenue. Jeez Louise. Don't just do the same thing of taxing homes. Because all you're doing is making the community wealthy and homogenous. It's called gentrification. I don't care who you talk to. Taxes are regressive. They're not progressive. People try to position as taxes as being progressive. Oh, look at what we can do if we tax these folks. You tax the people out of the community you're trying to help. That's what happens. It's called gentrification. Last tip, or last topic. The head football coach at UVA, Tony Elliott, <coughs> has not won an ACC home football game since arriving to Charlottesville. I want to put that in perspective. This man has not won in nearly two seasons an ACC home football game. 
People talk about the atmosphere and the attendance at Scott Stadium being sad. We'll win some home football games against Atlantic Coast Conference opponents, and that may change. They got Duke and Virginia Tech left on the season. Louisville on Thursday, but that's a road game in Louisville. They're a 20-point underdog. Louisville's the 11th-ranked team in the nation, and they're playing for an ACC championship, a berth in the ACC championship. Then they got Duke at home and Virginia Tech at home. Two shots left to win a home ACC football game. I mean, madre. Very concerning. All right. You'll see the flow news in the legacy media after this show, the Guajiros news in the legacy media after this show, and wait till you read the story that I got in the hopper for the I Love Seville Network. Traffic on the I Love Seville Network businesses that if you want to get the word out about what's going on with your business in this community, it is sensational. I mean, it is at, at levels I never expected it to be. I love Seville.com. Anything you want to close with? Judah Wickhauer with some closing thoughts here on Election Day in Charlottesville. Anywhere you want to go, any topic you want to cover. Uh, if you haven't voted yet, <clears throat> get out there and vote. Uh, and like Jerry said, it's been a pretty dismal turnout. And um, if you're not going out and voting, then uh, you can't really complain about who ends up in in uh, the spot that you're uh, that you want someone in. Uh, get out there, let your voice be heard. There you go. Uh, Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville show. Tomorrow, the response and the reaction to who was elected into office. It's going to be a scintillating broadcast tomorrow. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody.